am Brenda. And hi, I'm Amber. And this is the Minority Millennial Money Podcast. The contents of this podcast are informational in nature and are not legal or tax advice. And neither Amber nor I nor Minority Millennial Money is engaged in the provision of legal, tax, or any other advice. You should seek your own advice from professional advisors, including lawyers and tax accountants, regarding the legal, tax, and financial implications of any financial decision you contemplate. Welcome back to another episode of Minority Millennial Money. Today, we're going to be talking about passive income. One of our listeners sent in a message and asked us to talk about what passive income is and different ways that you can make it. So what do you think, Amber, are some of the major ways that people can make passive income? Yeah, so I think the easiest way, first of all, is like cashback, debit cards and credit cards. So I have actually a cashback debit card. So okay. every time I spend any money on my debit card for anything, I automatically get, um, I don't know exactly know how much it is. I forgot some sort of percentage, maybe 1%. Um, so it's just every month I get like however much, whatever 1% of however much I spend. And that includes like all of my spending. So if I use my debit card for any any purchase whatsoever, um, I would get the cash back. So it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, and I know you don't use credit on a regular basis. I use my credit card for basically all my expenses, and then I pay it off either weekly or biweekly. And I also have a cash back form of that, which a credit card. And you can also use the cash back to buy like gift cards at a discount, which is cool. And I do that through American Express. So that's a way of you know making a little bit of money off of just all of your regular expenditures. So that's like pretty easy for everyone to do. And you can Google like most banks do some form of that. It's really not hard whether you use debit like Amber does or you use a credit card daily for daily expenses. That's an option. And then there's um, some other like kind of they're not it's not as large amount of money, but like a high yield savings account. Right. We've talked about keeping your emergency fund in a high yield savings account and right now rates are so low you're not really going to make a ton of money unless you're really putting a ton of money in that account which we've advised you against it's really just for the emergency fund anything else should go in the market um right. what do you think about that yeah i mean so actually my cashback back debit automatically puts the funds into my high yield savings oh yeah, so it's really cool. So you can like, I mean, you can keep the money if you want to, but there's an option where it'll automatically put it into your high yield savings. So I think right now the the savings rates are low, um, but the high yield savings rate typically has the same interest rate as a CD. So oh. I know a lot of people get CDs, but um, you might as well just put it in the high yield savings. So, I mean, right now it's low. I think it's like 0.5%, but um, you know, when things are going well in the economy, like hopefully they will be at some time in the future, um, you know, it's usually like 2%. So that's pretty high. That's true. That's a good amount. I remember even at its highest, my high yield saving was like 1.5%. This was before the Fed lowered the rate significantly last year because of the pandemic. Um, and then another way, speaking about interest rates and getting money back, is um, compound interest, right? And I feel like we've talked a lot about investing in the stock market, but we haven't 
actually discuss why it's so um, useful as a tool to grow your money. So I had an example of like Amber goes and invests $100 into the stock market and she picks the funds that get her about a 10% return, which is probably a little bit higher than average. And last year we talked about how we both got close to 20% return because last year was a really great year in the market. But let's say you make 10%. And so in in a year, you have $110, right? Because you made 10% of that 100. So next year, you're investing 110 and you're making 10% on 110. Now you made $11 that year. In the next year, you're investing $121 and you're gonna make another 10% on that, which is $12.10. So every year and with every day, the more money you have, the more it grows because you're growing a bigger pot, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I mean, imagine, I mean, outside of $100, right? Imagine you put in $10,000. So that's quite a bit of money that you're making basically on you doing zero. Um, so that's right. a lot. Right. I mean, and most people, I mean, we're definitely, that's just a small number so that people can get the idea, but exactly. If you uh, only need $10,000 in your emergency fund, but you have 20000 in cash just sitting there, you could take 10000 mm-hmm. and at a 10% rate in one year, you made $1,000 without doing anything. Right, right. But that's kind of like the, for me, the number one form of uh, passive income is just being willing to let money go so the money can grow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was a hard thing I had to get over too because a part of me felt like, once I invested it in the market, like it was no longer mine anymore. And so therefore I had less money. I don't know why I felt like that. Um, But I got, I I think a lot of people feel like it's gambling and I've actually heard that before, you know, like I heard someone in my own family say like, Oh, well, I actually would rather like put my money in my pension or like in my 401k because otherwise I feel like it's gambling. I'm like, you do know what a 401k is in, right? Like, right in the same stock market that that your money outside of the 401k would be so that's a common misconception that somehow because it's if it's in a retirement plan or a pension that it's safer um well so i think that kind of comes from so like a lot of financial advisors will say that 401k they don't advise people put a lot of money into their 401ks or pensions because they're way more conservative then you can mm. be in the market. So the thing is, if you have a brokerage account and you're putting a lot of money in, you can make like 20% gains. And I know some people who make 30, 40% gains over the year. And you just can't make that much money in a 401k because all of the things are, all of the stocks in there and bonds in there are very conservative. So you're only going to make 10, 15% in those accounts. And so that's probably where people don't really understand um or what the confusion is about. But there's a lot of people who don't ever invest in their 401k and only invest in the brokerage. And they have and they have more money. Right, and they have more risk, yeah. right? And they have more risk. So it's all about risk tolerance, that's true. Um, I It's not that 401ks or retirement accounts are not safe, but generally speaking, they don't allow you to quote unquote gamble it, right? Because they want you to have money when you retire. So that's a good point. And then something else that actually a few of my friends on Twitter talk about a lot are dividends, right? Which a dividend is kind of like a reward that the company gives you for investing in them in the first place. 
So if you invested $100 in a sock company and they they had a really high earnings quarter and they want to, you know, give everybody a 2% dividend, then you would get $2 back for investing $100. And then I personally set my, my, my Roth IRA and my brokerage account to where all my dividends get automatically reinvested. Um, there is an option to cash them out to like go spend them. <laughs> which sometimes I want to do, but I click the auto invest button and that means that the next time that you can buy something, they use those $2, say a share costs $2, then I could buy another share of that stock. Um, so that's another way to make money on the money. Right. Yeah. I mean, I do that too. It just seems like a no brainer to auto invest your dividends. Cause it's like, why would you want $2 in your checking? Like, it's just kind of odd. <laughs> like, you might as well just add it to your other investments and have your investments make more money. Right. Yeah. It doesn't really make sense. I mean, unless you really need the money, but if you really need the money, then Why are you you're investing? not investing that much. Right. Exactly. Um, and then we're going to get to the big one at the end, but right before we get to that one, there is side hustles, which you brought up to me as pass as a passive form of income. And I was like, well, no, a side hustle kind of implies that you're still hustling and you're still being active. So explain to me how it could be passive. So, I mean, I think I've talked on this series about, you know, like my ebook series that I have um, mm -hmm. and I have hard copy books as well. But I mean, so I guess it's semi-passive. I mean, it's obviously active when you're writing ebooks, right? Like you have to spend a lot of time. I've spent days, weeks on, you know, an e one ebook. But after you write it and publish it, um, you know, it's out there and you get royalties on it for the rest of your life. So if someone buys my book in 2025, I'll get my royalties in 2025. So, you know, you never know. Um, so I think that's, I think it's passive income. Um, and a lot of other people do other things to make money, um, you know, that they would consider like passive income, like small side jobs where, um, you know, you can make money like uh, some people like sell T-shirts or flip things mm. on eBay or things like that. Yeah. And I, I've seen a lot online about like, don't try to monetize your hobby, but some people do. And it's like very lucrative. Like I have a couple friends who really enjoy making crafts. And so they make like wine glasses that are decorated or little nursing reel badges, you know, stuff like that. That's like, I would be doing that watching TV anyway. So like, right. why not make a few dollars on it? I'm totally for that. Unfortunately, I'm not that creative, so I can't make anything that anyone would buy. But for people who are good at that stuff, I think that's totally great, you know? And some people like that ends up being so lucrative for them that they give up their jobs, you know, yeah. because it's like, wow, I'm making a ton more money putting in less time than at my full-time job. And it's something that I really enjoy. So I don't know. I think that side hustles are definitely, if you really, really enjoy it, or it's something where you put the work in up front at the beginning, like you have with your eBooks, then it's definitely passive. Right. Cause I'm not doing anything with them. I mean, I market them on social media here and there. I mean, I could be better at that, but. <laughs> but we still have jobs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> If anybody wants to do free um, social media marketing for us, let us know. <laughs> yes, please let me know. I am exhausted. 
<laughs> and then the final big one that everyone likes to talk about how it's so passive is real estate. And um, I also want to talk about REITs. But if you want to hear our own personal home ownership stories, you can listen to the um, the home buying process episode. But people, um, a lot of people have, you know, retired off of simple passive income from rental properties. Mm-hmm. And I, being a landlord, I don't believe it's really that passive. I mean, for me, it's very, very low maintenance. I mean, I probably only put in a few hours of work towards my properties per month. And that's just like making sure I got rent, making sure that the bills that I pay get paid. And that's really all there is to it. And, you know, occasionally I may have to deal with a small issue if it comes up, but I really haven't had many of those. So for me, it's been relatively passive, but I also don't make a ton of money on them because um, I didn't put a lot of money down. So the mortgage payment is is kind of high and I can't, I've, I haven't really maxed out the amount of rent that I can charge, but I like my tenants and I want to keep them. And so I've kind of compromised a little bit on the pricing of the rent, yeah. but I feel like if it was going to be passive, I'm, I'm the example of how passive it can be like a couple hours a month. But again, I'm not taking money on a monthly basis from those properties. I'm letting whatever money I make stay in that account for like rainy days. Right. So it's not really income at this point. It's really just an investment that's kind of paying for itself. Right. I mean, that's really smart. Um, I definitely think that like, if you have good tenants, keep them. Because Mm -hmm. I've had experiences with bad tenants or just I've had, so my tenants have been very young, which I think is maybe the difference between your tenants that you had. Um, Mm -hmm. When I owned my house, I had a lot of young people. And so they're like, the dishwasher won't turn on. What do I do? Like, that's a text that they're sending me while I'm in court doing a trial. Like, what? I'm like, reset the breaker. Are you serious? (laughs) It's just like, I like, what? Like. I've never gotten a text like that. And and you're right. My tenants are in their mid to late thirties. Yes. They yes. are grown adults and, and they know that if it's something that genuinely needs fixing that I'll come and help. But I also have a service that I use and that they have access to that if something's broken, then they can call that service. And if, if it's going to be over a certain amount, then they do have to call me to approve it. But like by that point it's been resolved or, I mean, the only time I've had to do that, like I've said, is like a plumbing issue that did cost about $1,300, but it was kind of like, I, I have to do it. I don't have a choice. Like the right. water's not running, right. you of know? Course. Course. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. It's, uh, you, the tenants is a huge part of it. And I was happy to sacrifice a bit of money to keep them, especially because they paid me all through the pandemic. And I know that wasn't the case for all landlords over the last year. Right, right. That's another thing, like, you know, thinking that real estate is like such a great way of making income. It's like something like a global pandemic happens and the law is in the favor of tenants. Yeah. You have to let them stay living there and you would not be able to evict them in most states. Well, I think that's that's a really good thing to bring up and sort of off topic. But it's just like a lot of people, when they hear the word landlord, you know, they typically think of maybe an old rich white man. And they're probably not thinking of us as being landlords. And a lot of the rules and laws are shaped against uh, against landlords. And so you do right. 
something to consider. Right, exactly. Definitely look up the landlord laws in your state before you consider becoming a real estate investor. And then the last thing was related to real estate, but something called a real estate investment trust, which is a form of investing in, it's like basically pooling your money with other people, like, you know, to simplify it, like to buy a big apartment building, right? Like the, the apartment building costs $3 million. So they get 30 people at $100,000 each. And you don't even have to, you don't have to invest that much. But the idea is that people are investing so that y'all together can buy a property, which is usually commercial or like a larger piece or maybe multiple single family homes. Um, and then you all share the profits. So have you ever done that? I've never done a REIT, but I've heard a lot of good things about it. Um, I honestly, I've never really truly researched how to get started in it. Um, but I feel like if you want to invest in real estate, doing a REIT is a really good way to do it. Yeah, I think so too. I think the only thing I've heard is like, make sure you do your due diligence and like be aware of where your money's going and what the market is like in that area. And if it's really going to be a profitable endeavor, because a lot of people are just kind of speculating. Right. And it's like, if you've got money to kind of actually gamble, Right. then do it. But if you don't, then just put it in index funds and stuff that's like more reliable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. And then one other thing I wanted to talk about um, was uh, blogging, right? I, I don't do blogging and you don't do blogging, but I know several people in the personal finance space that do it and they end up making money by putting ads on their blogs. And so that's kind of like consistent revenue that they depend on people on the traffic of the blog right in order to make money because people won't want to advertise if you have like two viewers per day but if you have two thousand viewers per day then it's worth having an ad um and so some people make money that way passively but i know that that takes years right to develop it's not like you just start a blog and tomorrow you're making money with ads like people have to know about it and use it and interact with it and yeah, you have to build up a large following. Um, and then you have to be willing to blog, like you said, a lot. Probably, you know, like some people do like daily blogs, weekly blogs, and usually keep doing that over years. I mean, that's a lot of work to put in, especially if you don't know if it's going to take off. Yeah, and I like writing, but I wouldn't want to write. That's like one of those things that it's like, a hobby that I don't want to monetize because right. then I feel like there's all this added pressure uh-huh. and it's going to make the experience just not enjoyable to me anymore. Right. I think forced content creation is problematic. That's a great quote. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just see it all the time because, you know, we follow all these people in PF Twitter and yeah. I the other day, like I'm so tired of the faux positivity, uh, positivity on this app. Like I said, something like that on Twitter. But all these like PF bloggers, like today's a great day because I'm making passive income. It's just like, shut up. Like this is so <laughs> annoying and fake. And it's just like, I'm so tired of seeing these posts. And it's just like, I don't know. Maybe I'm just too cynical for like social media or something, but. <laughs> could be, could be. But a lot of us are then. Yeah. Um, great. Well, Those are some forms of passive income that we could think of. If you can think of any others, let us know. And um, we're always open to ideas about what topics to talk about. So feel free to DM us on Instagram. We're Minority Millennial Money. And then on Twitter, we're MM Money Pod. 
And our emails are on our website as well. And we'll put all of that in the show notes. Y'all take care. Have a good day.